Yes, I assumed I was next. All right. It's great to see each of you this morning. Appreciate uh, certainly those who are visiting with us being here and want you to know that you are welcome and are welcome guests at any time. I don't see it. There we go. Before we begin this morning, Dennis Thompson sent me an email yesterday and said, I just got some pictures back from India, and these are actually some of the individuals who were given Bibles that were uh, purchased with the generous contributions from this congregation. So I wanted to just uh, show you what y'all's work uh, has done and uh, show you that these people are very thrilled about the fact that they are now going to be able to study the Word of God Uh, while Ron and and, uh, Dennis are not there. You know, one of the strongest tools, I guess is the way I want to put it, that Satan uses with us is doubt. When we talk to people about being forgiven of sins, one of the things that many people struggle with is, how do I know that I'm forgiven? You know, I, I was baptized, or, or for a Christian, they, they've uh, prayed to God for forgiveness, and, and maybe they've come forward and they've had their brothers and sisters with them, and, and, and they've prayed with them. But, you know, I just, I have this doubt in my mind, and, and it's just, it's really inhibiting my ability to move forward. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone when we talk about doubt in regards to forgiveness. Satan wants to tell us that there is a line that we can cross, that there are things that are so bad that you've done in your life that there's just no possible way that God can forgive you. Paul dealt with this a great deal in his life, and he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16 that Spencer wrote, read for us just a minute ago, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't come from anything that I do. Forgiveness comes from the fact that Christ Jesus offers forgiveness through his sacrifice. And so Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, who has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although, and then he goes on and and, and talks about all of these things that he had done prior to becoming a Christian. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save what? Sinners. Of whom Paul says, I am chief. And he says, however, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul, even as great a man as he was, recognized the fact that he 
had sinned against God. As Saul, the sinner, he says, I was a blasphemer. He did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He did not believe that the work that the Christians were doing was in keeping with God's will. He was a violent aggressor. I mean, we need to look no further than the end of Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of Acts chapter 8, where we're told that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen, who had so angered the Sanhedrin that they had drug him out and stoned him for preaching the truth. He says he was the chief of sinners. He didn't believe in Jesus Christ. He didn't like Christians. And he wanted them all dead because he believed that they were violating what he believed was God's law. And he says he thought he was helping God by doing what he was doing. But then he says... Paul, the forgiven. I, Paul, have been granted mercy and I've been granted grace by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mercy because God didn't deal with me as a sinner in the way that I deserved to be dealt with. And he gave me grace because he sent Jesus Christ so that I might be reconciled to him. And my friends, when I talk about the fact that Satan wants to put doubt in our minds about whether we're forgiven or not, can I suggest to you this morning that when we have that seed of doubt placed in our mind, we go back and we look at the example of Paul. Because Paul was a man who, as he proclaimed, was the chief of sinners. You see, when we talk about forgiveness, the key to understanding or the key to forgiveness is understanding God, God, understanding God's love, his mercy, and his grace. Turn with me back to Psalms, the 103rd chapter, if you would. In this particular passage, David writes, beginning in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In today's world, we look for benefits in what we do. If I'm going to take a job... What's the first thing I ask about? What are the benefits? Particularly health care, retirement, and so forth. My friends, how frequently do we contemplate the benefits that come from our loving God and Father? The psalmist here, he begins with this tremendous praise of God that comes from the issues deep within his soul. He says this, Lord, verse 3, forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, 
who satisfies your mouth with good things so your mouth is renewed like the eagles. David says we should have an invigorated soul because of the blessings that God bestows upon us. And again, he goes through and he lists, he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies. But notice that first one. He says he forgives all our iniquities. See, God wants us to be saved. And this echoes what we see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, when the Lord tells us through Peter that he will cleanse all of our unrighteousness. So when we talk about forgiveness, friends, we're talking about forgiveness coming from a God who wants us to be forgiven, who wants us to be cleansed, who wants us to be reconciled back to him. If you go back to our passage, Psalms 103, look in verse 8. He says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Is that not what Paul was telling us earlier to Timothy? He says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Verse 8 here is first, talked of, or first spoken of in Exodus chapter 34, when the Lord is showing Moses his glory upon the mountain. And the writer here is telling us that the Lord does not have the type of anger with us that would be expected from a sinful people. He says, the Lord is slow to anger. And let's think about this. How often do we fail in life in regards to our relationship with God? Isn't it amazing that God is as patient with us as he is? Again, you go back and you look at at the Old Testament, how patient was the Lord with the Israelites? When they're desiring to come out of the land of Egypt, the Lord sends ten plagues upon Pharaoh. The power of God was seen to the people of Israel. But yet when they came to the waters of the Red Sea and they see Pharaoh and his troops in the distance, what's the first thing they want? They want to go home. They want to go back to the punishment that was instilled upon them because they did not trust in the Lord. But yet God was patient with them. God, anger did not sit with them. He brought them deliverance through the paths of the Red Sea. Verse 9, notice it says that the Lord's anger is not only slow to ignite, but once it ignites, it doesn't last very long. And again, considering our sins, you know, being a parent, think about being a parent. When my child does something, maybe not when they're young, but certainly when the children my age or my kids age, when they do something and I, you know, you know, it goes against everything you taught them. How long do you stay angry? It may be a while. Our Lord not only is slow to anger, but he also allows his anger 
to be quenched. Verse 10 says that the Lord does not repay our sins with the punishments that are due us. Now again, you think back to what Paul had talked about. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. And yet, on that road to Damascus, the Lord comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What would we have expected? From a human perspective, you would have expected him to have been dealt with based upon his crimes. But the Lord said, no, I have a purpose for you. I have something I need you to do. And my friends, can I tell you this morning that the Lord has a purpose for us? He has a purpose for me and he has a purpose for you. And he desires that we fulfill it. And we can do that because he's willing to forgive the things that we've done wrong. The Lord, if for no other reason than just the example of Israel, shows the type of love that he has for his people. In verses 11 through 14, we see that the love of God is steadfast and again provides us a comfort of what he's willing to do for us, willing to give to us. Verse 11 describes the Lord's love as great as the distance between the heavens and the earth. Our children learn how much mommy and daddy love them because I love you this much, right? We spread our arms that gives them great comfort because we can wrap around them. The Lord says, my arms stretch from the heavens to the earth. That's how much I love you. And then verse 13 says that the Lord has a compassion of a father toward his children. And again, yes, we can be angry with our children, but what do we ultimately want for them? We want them to be right. We want them to be forgiven. And we want them to go down the path that brings them spiritual life. My friends, when we talk about God's mercy, his grace, his love, it comes to the fact that God is faithful. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. The writer here says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful and he's offered you the opportunity to come to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul also goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. He's offered you the ability to come to him through Jesus Christ, the son. And not only is he allowing you the opportunity to come to him, but friends, when we get in a position where we're tempted, God is not going to allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able. And he's going to provide for us a way of escape. And when we fail, he's going to forgive us again. And help us to be brought back to him. 
Notice then what is told to us by the writer in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What is the confession of our hope? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I know that his blood is going to wash my sins away and that that relationship, that reconciliation that it brings between me and God is going to give me an everlasting home in heaven. My friends, if God didn't want to forgive us, he would have never offered Jesus Christ. And if God didn't want to forgive us, he would have never allowed the continuing blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse his children. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, our God is faithful. So when I go back and ask the question, if I'm forgiven, why, why are there times in my life that I don't feel like it? Why are there times in my life that I just feel so overwhelmed that I just can't possibly see how anybody could love me that much that they would allow me to continue to make the mistakes that I make and and continue to forgive me? Well, friends, it's because forgiveness from God doesn't remove all the earthly consequences that go with things that occur wrong in our lives. If Saul was living in today's times and he had persecuted the way that he persecuted in the first century, would there have been consequences for him? Absolutely. And, and even though God had forgiven him of his sins, he still has consequences to face. My nephew, one of my nephews uh, is involved in a prison ministry in Florida. And one of the challenges that he faces when dealing with and he deals with death row inmates is that when he teaches them, is helping them understand forgiveness from God does not mean a release from consequences. But yet, they do have the release from the consequences of a sinful life when it comes to the day of judgment. Forgiveness from God doesn't mean that we are going to have our memory erased. Paul, even as great an apostle as he was, continued his whole life to deal with the things that he had done in his past. He did it with all good conscience, but yet it continued to hurt him because he knew it was against God. Friends, those are some of the tools that Satan uses against us. The consequences and the memory. My conscience. My conscience. See, we have in this country the saying, let your conscience be your guide. Isn't that one of the Disney songs? Let your conscience be your guide? Jiminy Cricket, right? But a problem with that is most people, when we're talking about conscience, are relying upon their own feelings in regards to matters being right or wrong or in regards to their feelings about being forgiven or not. 
See, our conscience reflects our thoughts. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what has trained my conscience? What has trained my conscience? How do I determine between right and wrong? How do I determine forgiveness? See, Paul tells us in Acts 23 and in Acts 24 that he lived in all good conscience while he put Christians in prison and he consented to their deaths. But Titus tells us in Titus chapter 1, turn with me over there. Titus 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me in according to the commandment of God our Savior. See, our conscience can be defiled by wrong teaching. Our conscience can be defiled by bad influences. So we have to understand when we talk about forgiveness and the the feelings of whether I'm forgiven or not, how has our conscience been trained? And my friends, where our conscience has been trained incorrectly, understand that our conscience can be trained correctly. The conscience may be our guide, but it can't be our standard. Our conscience has to be compared against God's word, both from a perspective of what is right and wrong, but also when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter two, or 3, verse 14 through 17. Paul again says to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known what? Paul here tells Timothy, this is the standard for determining right or wrong. This is the standard for helping us answer how we know if we are forgiven by God, the Holy Scriptures. And he says, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Because all Scripture you see, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, our training in the Holy Scriptures not only allows us to understand the difference between right and wrong, but it helps us understand God's attitude toward forgiveness especially when it comes to forgiveness on my behalf. In Ezekiel, the 18th chapter and the 23rd verse, we're told, Do I have pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? See, God does not desire man to die in a state separate from him. He wants him to live, and he wants him to be his own, to be God's. In 1 Timothy, the second chapter, the fourth verse, 
Timothy again, or to Paul again, writes to Timothy, who desires God, he's talking about, all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. When we talk about God's attitude toward forgiveness, again, this passage is very clear. He desires all men to be saved, all men to be forgiven, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord deals with us just as he dealt with Paul. His mercy is great. His grace is great because he desires us to come home to him, to be forgiven, to be reconciled, and to live a life in accordance with his will. My friend, Satan wants you to think that you can't be forgiven, that what you've done in life is so heinous, so hideous, that the world won't forgive you, so God won't forgive you. My friends, God is our Father. And God has made all of the preparations needed in order for us to come home to him again through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the question we have to ask ourselves is not, am I forgiven? But have I done what God teaches me in order to be forgiven? Again, he gives us example after example in the scriptures. In Acts, the second chapter, beginning in verse 38. Turn with me, if you would, there. Peter preaching to those who realize and understand that they have crucified Jesus Christ, both Lord and Savior. Beginning in verse 38, Peter says to them, repent. And this is in response to the question that they asked, what should we do? He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as God, our Lord, as the Lord our God has called. Now, obviously, there are those that question regarding baptism. Is it for remission of sins or is it because you've already had your sins washed away? Paul answers this in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 16, when he recounts his conversion. He says that he was told, now, why are you waiting Arise and be baptized. Why? To wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And for those of us who are Christians, there's no need for us to be immersed in the waters of baptism again, because again, God tells us how to be restored to him. In Acts, the eighth chapter, beginning in the 20th verse, he tells us, When Peter is chastising Simon in verse 20, 
He says to Simon, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. This is a man who has, in previous verses, we're told, been baptized for the remission of sins. And, and as he follows Peter around, he's enticed that he wants these gifts. And he's offering, what is it going to take for me to get them? Peter, understanding the intent of his heart, says, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. He says, Repent thereof of this your wickedness, and what? Pray God. Pray God that your thought of your heart may be what? Forgiven you. Friends, God desires us to be forgiven. And when we follow the pattern that he's given us, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, that the Lord is faithful. He's going to establish you. He's going to guard you from the evil one. God's faithful. He says what he means. He means what he says, and he does what he says he's going to do. And what does he say he's going to do in regards to forgiveness? Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. When I come up out of the waters of baptism, my friends, it doesn't matter what I've done in my life. Because God says, you've been forgiven And I remember those sins no more. When I fail after I become a Christian, I come to God in a penitent heart, asking for forgiveness. My sins are forgiven. And I remember no more. That forgiveness is made possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood of Jesus Christ is made possible because God so loved the world that he knew, he knew we would want to come home to him at some point. And he's going to offer us, provide for us that pathway. And that when we follow his steps for forgiveness, we can stand with our heads held high, knowing the world may be against me, but God has forgiven me. Friends, when we talk about forgiveness, and we talk about Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, we see some of the greatest characteristics of the new covenant, the mercy, the grace, and the forgiving power of Almighty God. There's no doubt for you, or there's no reason for you to doubt this morning whether you're saved. There's no reason for you to doubt this morning whether God has forgiven you of your sins. You just have to answer the very simple question. Is have I done what God teaches me in order to be forgiven? My friends, if you're here this morning and you know that the pathway that you've taken to this point in your life has not led you to the spiritual relationship with God that he calls for, that you have not done those things that God calls for you to do to be reconciled to him,
we're here to help you with that this morning. God is here this morning to forgive you and to forget. And if you're a Christian and you know that there are times in your life that you just kind of wander down your own path and you know that you need to course correct, can I offer to you this morning that there's about 180 to 200 people sitting here that love you and that are more than happy and willing to pray with you as you try to overcome the challenges that you have in your life. But the response is up to you. God is here and he waits for you. He welcomes you as together we stand and as we sing.